0: Good to be with you, friends. Curb every sinful desire. That's what we just said. And that's because today we want to look at one of the greatest failures that anybody can face, and that's the failure of idolatry. When I was in China, I used to walk into homes sometimes, friends' homes and, and acquaintances' homes, and I'd see this shelf, sometimes in some place in the house. Oftentimes it was right inside the door, maybe it was back in a corner, you know, a nook or something like that. And there'd be like a, a Buddha-ish kind of figure maybe, and a few little bowls that you could use to burn incense or something else in. And, and then perhaps there would be, a, I don't know, a few pictures of a loved one. And, and I didn't think about that too much at first. Then I realized I was looking at a shrine. Not a, not a, not a real, you know, a very fancy or complicated shrine, but a shrine nonetheless. It was a, a shrine, a basic shrine so that family members could not only remember their loved ones, not just a picture on a mantle, right? But a, a shrine where sons, daughters, grandsons, granddaughters, they could pray for their ancestors. Maybe they could even pray to their ancestors. Over time, I started to ask a few questions. You know, why you why are you doing this? What are you trying to do? You know, I tried to learn about them. And and for the most part, most people didn't think too much about it, but they would they would push back. Oh no, that's not really a big deal. That's not worship. This is not something bad. That was kind of my first, I thought what physical, real, tangible experience with what most people would call idolatry. Right? The worship of some physical thing, a physical image, in order to to get something. And then I started running it into the United States. And then I realized uh, really saw what it was. Because I came back here and I would talk to people and I would ask them you know, can I come and, and visit with you? Can I share God's word with you? Share the message of the gospel with you. No, don't bother us, Pastor. Leave us alone. And and if you kept talking to people, sometimes people would really push back hard on me and say, What do you want from us? And I said, Whoa, I guess I've pushed into your your comfort. Because people wanted more than anything to just be comfortable. And you know you've really found somebody's idol. you found somebody's thing that they worship in their life when they get mad at you. When they really push back at you. Friends, that's what we want to get rid of today. That idol in our lives. That idol that might ruin us as a group of people. Because one of the things that we're going to see today from this story is that the greatest failure it is not finances or corruption or adultery as we've seen all the last weeks the greatest failure is idolatry so let's take a look at this story this might be a new story for some of you maybe you know this story a little bit from bible history way back in the day but this story of second kings chapter 17 it shows us that failure is the greatest that idolatry is the greatest failure this is what the bible says he puts it this way All of this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord, who had brought them up out of Egypt from under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshipped other gods, and they followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the kings of Israel had introduced. Here, this is talking about the end of the Israelite nation. It says, All of this took place. What that is talking about is the destruction or the end of the northern ten tribes. Perhaps a a quick reminder for us, in in case you you forgot, right, Israel was combined of 12 different sons and all of their families, and in just a few years, those sons and their families grew into millions of people, millions of people, And, and they spread out across the region that we call today Israel, and Palestine, into 12 tribes. Each of them you could kind of think of like a state. The northern ten were eventually split and became their own country, and the southern two became a separate country. But they were all supposed to follow the same religious practices and have the same kind of common rules or laws. It it turned out over time, that the northern ten, what we're talking about here, they finally came to an end. About 740 B.C., the king of Assyria started picking off the cities of the northern ten tribes one at a time. Just like stealing Allegan, and then stealing Otsegal, and then stealing Plainwell, and then stealing Goebbels. That would take too long. Then stealing Alamo, that'd take even less time. And then finally, all that was left was the major capital city of Samaria. And for three years, the king Sargon laid siege to the city of Samaria. Can you imagine what a city would look like if it was surrounded and starved for three years? It must have been an ugly mess. That was the end of the northern ten tribes that nation of Israel has never come back, ever again. And God tells us why that happened. It all happened because of their worship life. It's ironic. It's, it's not because they had the wrong political system. It's not because they had bad economics. He says here it's because they built high places, which means they would build up in the, in the middle of basically the street. They would just build an altar, and then they'd build a chancel, and they'd have worship like all of the nations around them, just in the middle of the street. And they would also set up these Asherah poles, which were poles that people used for worship, for fertility and sexual sexuality or sexual prowess, right in the middle of the open air. And then lastly, they would burn incense to all of the other gods, the idols around them. God says, this is why... These nations came to the end. This is what the Bible calls idolatry. And the Bible calls this the the greatest failure. The Bible points out numerous times that this is is the big failure. It's ironic. It's not having the wrong political system that ruins a country. It's not having bad economics that makes you lose your home. It's not even living bad lives that ruins your lives forever. True, some people lost their home because they, they lived bad lives for a while, right? But what really ruins countries was their idolatry. When the Israelites moved into the nation or the region that we call, at that time, Canaan, they drove out these nations in front of them. And Deuteronomy chapter 7 says that God told them to defeat and destroy the nations, break down their altars, smash their stones, Cut down their asher poles, burn their idols in the fire. You notice God didn't say get rid of their economic policy. He didn't say change their government. He said, Get rid of what they worship. That was why these nations were, were driven up. And the same thing happened to Babylon. In in Babylon, in Daniel chapter five, God said to through Daniel, You have not humbled yourself, king. You've set yourself up against the Lord. You praised the gods of silver and gold. You did not honor God who holds his, in his hand your life and your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote, Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Do you hear this? God has said this in, in his Bible a couple different times in a couple different ways. The greatest failure, what really brings groups of people to an end, is idolatry. Now, you think how surprising that is, just for a second? What do most people think religion is all about? If you ask the average person, what makes you good with God? Why should you be a Christian? What are they going to say? Probably because I'm a good person. Right? Religion is about being a good person. God wants me to be a, a good person. But the Bible says the greatest failure, the worst thing that we can do, is worship Him the wrong thing. And you know, you might expect that this is of course what the Bible would say. Of course the Bible would say that the most important thing is to worship the right God. But actually, it's not just the Bible. For example, the Reformers. The Reformers, the reason they were so passionate about Reformation, many people point out that they wanted actually to make a war on idols. The Reformation, they said, people would say is about Christianity. Christianizing Christendom. They felt like much of Europe had fallen into open idolatry. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the same thing about the time when Adolf Hitler was becoming a Fuhrer. He said, if he allows himself to surrender to the wishes of his followers, they would always make him into their idol. He pointed out why is Germany at this point going to come to an end? Why is this whole thing going to be ruined? Because they're making this leader into their idol. Have you seen the same thing? Can you, can you, can you understand that, right? That it's idolatry, it's not being bad people, it's not having the wrong economics, it's not even having a bad political system that really wrecks a group of people? It's actually idolatry. Even today, people point the same thing out. David Foster Wallace, you know the poem poet David Foster Wallace? He, he wrote a lot of poetry, which most people can't understand most of it. I certainly can't. But one time he gave this commencement address, this speech at the end of a college. He told the people that in the day-to-day life, everybody worships something. There's no such thing as atheism and he said you know the compelling reason to worship one of the traditional religions one of the real religions is that if you worship anything else it'll destroy you it'll eat you alive if you worship money and things if that's where you get real meaning in life you'll feel like you never have enough you'll never feel like you're enough worship your body and you'll always feel ugly and when time and age start showing you'll die a million deaths before they grieve you. Have you ever seen anybody worship something and then get destroyed because of it? I know another pastor who told the story about a a woman who more than anything else wanted to have kids. Her name was Anna and she wanted kids. And surprisingly, in her older age, she got married. This is not the Anna from the Bible. She got married and, and the doctor's said, well, you'll probably never have children. She did. The problem was that after having children, she, her overpowering drive to give them this perfect life absolutely ruined their life together. She, her overprotectiveness, it said, her overprotectiveness, her fears and her anxieties and her need to control every detail of their lives made the family miserable. That's what idolatry does to us. That's why idolatry is the greatest failure. It ruins everything. And that's why the Bible wants us to realize that really, idols are nothing. The Apostle Paul wrote about idols in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He said, idols are nothing. They're nothing. They're empty things. And what really gives them the power is how you and I see them. I think a a helpful illustration that has always, that sticks with me, is think about keys. Keys, like to a car, in and of themselves, don't have any power. If you're 14, though, or 13, though, and the only thing you want in your life is to have those keys, man, what's that going to do to you? That could easily ruin you. Maybe you wake up in the middle of the night, and you think, it's time I can finally get away in my life and I can steal mom and dad's keys, and I'm going to go joyriding, and you wreck the car. Anybody ever do that? Got any grandkids who did that? Or maybe, maybe the only thing you want in your life is those keys, and you spend all of your days bugging mom and dad, trying to find time to drive that car. Dad, give me the keys. I want to go drive. It'll ruin you. But if you wait till 16 and you ask for those keys, and your parents say, it's time that you can have the keys. You get the keys, and what are they then? They're a symbol of responsibility. They're a symbol of authority. They're a symbol of privilege. They're a gift. They're a gift. And friends, an idol all by itself is like those keys before you turn 16. It's nothing. But it will eat you alive. It can destroy you from the inside out and completely ruin your life. In the same way, the greatest gifts of God, family and money and a sexual life and all of the other good things that God gives us, before God has blessed you, they'll destroy you. But if you've been baptized, if you've received those keys as God's great gift, there'll be nothing but a blessing and a privilege and a sign of God's responsibility and love for you. Because Jesus has done nothing but die so that He could turn the greatest idols of our lives into signs. Signs of God's love and favor. That's why on the very night that He was betrayed, the very night He was going to be put to death, He took the Lord's Supper and He said, this cup is the covenant in my blood. It is a sign for you. It's a sign that I have loved you with my whole life. And I want to give everything to you. And if you take this sign and you put it into your life, you will never need another idol. You'll have forever have a sign that everything that you have in your life, everything that counts as something, is a promise. It's an assurance that God gave everything for you. It's a sign that your family is a gift to you. It's a sign that your marriage and everything that's part of your marriage is a gift for you. It's a sign that your money is a gift to you. That's what this sign is. It's a sign from God that every good thing in your life is a promise from God to you. That He loves you. That He gave His Son to die for you. And that even though your heart and mind is filled with desires for all kinds of things in our lives that are actually worthless, that will do nothing but wreck us, that God loves us anyway in Jesus. So, replace your idols with signs. Replace your idols with signs. I know that so many of us are really practical people and we need something physical in our lives to hold on to. Something physical that tells us what's important. Think about Peter. One of the best examples of taking a a sign and turning it into really something that says it's meaningful. Peter. Jesus looked at Peter and he said, before the rooster crows twice, you're going to disown me. Do you think every time after that, Peter took that rooster's crow as a sign? Of course he did. A sign not only of his own sin, but a sign of the God who would warn him. And friends, take these signs, these idols in our lives, and replace them with real signs. This sign of communion, that God is your God. I've seen that work out in people's lives in a a really good way. And I've seen it work out in people's lives in a bad way. I think about a a woman that I get to work with she thought, too, that she was never going to have kids. Somehow, without getting married, she ended up having a kid. She was pretty surprised by that. And she still hasn't really come to grips with what it looks like to live a faithful life, but she has been assured that not only can she have kids, but that God hasn't turned all against And it doesn't matter that her life has fallen apart in so many other ways. She's considered that gift as a sign. That God does still love her. And she's learning to take then her baptism, which she received, the baptism that she got, also as a far greater sign, the true sign that says that God loves her and wants nothing but good things for her. Now, does she still have lots of idols in her own life, to work out and to get out as she learns to love God and worship Him right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yet, that gift of the child is a sign that God loves her. And more importantly, her baptism is a sign that God forgives her and assures her of His acceptance. And may you, in the same way, find this supper as a gift, as a sign that God wants good for you. Let's pray for that, friends, together today. Lord Jesus, we set up so many idols in our lives and it's easy like the Israelites to just accept all of the things of the world around us, to take money and family and comfort and everything else that people love and look to for assurance and salvation and and just to take them into our own lives and to make them the signs that we are loved and important. We pray, Lord Jesus, though, that that these things would not become our idols and that we would worship You alone. Make then Your Supper, this true gift to us, the only sign in our lives that You really love us, that You have forgiven us because of Jesus. We pray for this in His name. Amen.